What's up, everyone? Yes, it is I, your host, Natalie Morrison, and you might be thinking, wasn't this called Swim Masters? Well, yes, it was, and you're definitely in the right place. We decided that we wanted to give the podcast a bit of a makeover, and we're so proud to introduce to you Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast. Don't worry, it's still the same content, still the same hosts. We just wanted to take this to the next level. And we're excited that you're joining us on this fantastic journey. The episode that you're currently listening to was recorded before the name change. And I just wanted to let you know that you are in the right spot. So keep on listening. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for all new episodes of Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast coming soon. Welcome to Swim Masters, a podcast dedicated to help connect, grow, and support women in the music products industry. I am your host, Natalie Morrison. The Smart Women in Music Fund was established in 2018 by Robin Valenta, Dee Dee Hyde, and Crystal Morris to expand diversity, inclusion, and support for women in the music product space. Twice a month, I will sit down and host virtual conversations with various women across our industry to help foster mentorship and growth. Now, without further ado, Let's dive in. Welcome back to Swim Masters. I'm your host, Natalie Morrison. Thank you for joining me today. Before we dive into today's guest, I wanted to circle back on one topic, and that's how you can get involved with Swim. It's really easy. All you have to do is go to our website, smartwomenandmusic.org, and click the Join Now button. That way, you will be able to stay up to date with all things Swim-related. There are also a couple other things that you can do. You can make a donation, and all donations will go to support women within the industry through professional development opportunities, job shadowing, mentorship, and much more. We also host a variety of events throughout the year, including a swim summit that we hosted back in March with Dr. Jennifer Hall and a select group of women came for a a two-and-a-half-day leadership-intensive weekend at the NAM offices. And we'll probably talk about the summit in future episodes, but that's something to keep an eye out for. We also host swim meets at both the Winter NAM show and the Summer NAM show. These are great networking opportunities for everyone in our industry to come together, but especially our swim community to get to know each other a little bit more. And we also host two different scholarship periods. The first is for the Winter NAM show and the second is for the Summer NAM show. And winners receive a stipend to help get them to attend and participate the NAM show if they've never been or they're looking for more professional development opportunities in the heart of our industry, which are these NAM shows. So these are just a few of the many different things that SWIM is currently hosting and will host in the future. If I've sparked your interest, please head over to our website to learn more. You can find all sorts of other details about our initiatives there. And if you have any other questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to us, Robin, Dee Dee, or Crystal, and they'll be happy to answer any and all questions that you might have. Now, with all that said, I'm very excited to introduce our guest for the episode. Lisa Steele McDonald is the Director of Vertical Marketing at Yamaha. I hope you enjoy the episode. So without further ado, let's get into it. 
Hi, Lisa. Thanks for joining Swim Masters. Hi, Natalie. I'm so excited to be here. Great. So I think let's kind of start out with a little bit of an introduction. Tell us about your background and what you do at Yamaha, and we'll go from there. Well, right now, I am the director of vertical marketing for Yamaha, which means that my team is the team who is tasked with focusing on the needs of our most important customers or our really key personas. So big areas of emphasis for our team are music educators and houses of worship, as well as some industries like the cruise lines. I originally came to Yamaha as the director of band and orchestra. So that was just about five years ago. And before that, I had worked for an assortment of companies, basically working in what I characterize as enthusiast marketing. So a lot of different spaces, a lot of different sizes of companies companies that specialized in really passionate customer bases and how you could service the needs of this very passion-driven community. So when the time came to leave my previous position, the music industry was obviously a great place to find those kinds of customers. That music industry is a pretty perfect (laughs) industry for that. Before coming into the industry, how much of your career path surprised you to where you are today? Pretty much all of it. I was never the kid who had the idea that like when I grow up, this is what I want to be. You know, I really was a little at loose ends when the time came to be, you know, to adult and and find a career. What I decided is that I would get a job as an executive assistant as high up the food chain as I possibly could, and then be exposed to a lot of different areas of like what really happens in business. And in doing that, I I went through a couple companies like that. And what I found was everything that I really loved working on was marketing related. So I, I didn't even start my career knowing that I wanted to be a marketing professional. I came to it through trying a whole bunch of different things and found that I really loved it. And then I've always just been a really big proponent of say yes, to the opportunity, even if you don't know how you're going to do it, even if you don't know how you're going to make it successful and give it your all. So I've done a bunch of industry hopping based on, you know, kind of opportunities that came my way. And every one of them has really been so foundational into making me the person that I am today, that even the ones that were hard, even the ones that made me cry, even the ones that made me work like 20 hour days, I would never give up. Do you have a memory of an experience that really shaped you to go down the marketing route? That's a, that's a great question. No one's ever asked me that before. And it's going to sound really small and dorky, but I, I remember it so clearly now that you've said this. So I was working for a dot-com company in the first dot-com bubble, and we did e-commerce. And I was really actually loving things that were operations-based. I I loved the logistical challenge of how orders came in and, you know, a warehouse picked them and how you got them out and how you had like a great customer experience along the entire way. And so I was kind of leaning towards this operations thing. And in doing that, the company had been around a long time. They'd started as a catalog company, actually. And the CEO had come to me with a challenge wanting to know how do we know, how do we quantify what the catalog does for us? How do we know what the return on investment is for every product in every page of the catalog? And they had some big numbers, like we send out a mailing and we do X number of dollars, but they really couldn't quantify it. 
So I went down this rabbit hole of attribution and matchbacks from orders coming in online and, you know, what came in off the mailing list. And this was, again, the first dot-com bubble. So this was back when people still actually like called the call center and made orders or mailed in an order form. So it was a, it was a very different time. But the, the picking through of taking an action and figuring out whether or not it was resonating with a consumer and then matching it back to a spreadsheet. I just felt alive. It totally captured every, it just like all my synapses were firing. And I was like, this is so much fun. This is so great. And the the follow on to that was just that this was actually when email marketing was really new, like HTML emails weren't even a thing yet. You had to like draw pictures with ASCII characters in order to like separate sections. And he gave me the job of writing our weekly newsletter so I could go in and see like every click and every action. And I was just like, oh, this is the coolest thing ever. And, and I kind of never looked back. That's, that's really cool. Especially having an experience from when dot-com marketing was so new and just the dot-com e-commerce experience was so new and it's constantly evolving. And I feel like this in my job that I'm constantly learning new things that maybe like two years ago just doesn't fly anymore. But isn't that so great? I mean, it's so fun that you get to kind of reinvent your job every year, every six months. I love it. Oh, yeah, I do, too. It's interesting also because I look back on being in college. I took a digital marketing course like my senior year, and I and I feel like I need to retake that course because like everything's different. <laughs> <laughs> Just there's new platforms, and now you can sell things on Instagram. You're never not learning with all the new innovations with marketing. Was it harder for you to pivot to learning all these different strategies? as they evolve through the years? It, it wasn't, it wasn't. I think that it's one of the cases where I can actually be really grateful for one of my weaknesses playing into a strength. I don't have a degree in marketing. It's not what I studied. So for me, it was something that I learned on the job and I've always had to come to it with a sense of humility and not believing that I had the answer, but that the answer was out there if I used logic and good fundamentals and an open kind of an open mind and an open heart to what quote the right answer is to any situation. I think that I've been really lucky actually in that I've never had a lot of ego associated with knowing how to be a like a MySpace marketing master <laughs> and then worrying that your technology is suddenly obsolete and and you don't have that edge anymore because human nature hasn't changed. And the things that motivate people haven't changed and the skills that you need to connect with people, like the, the tactics and the tools you use are changing at a dizzying pace. But the fundamental of making a connection with another person is still very much what it's always been. And I think that it's actually a really good reminder to all of us not to be distracted by the shiny of the tech itself. It's about the motivation that underlies it. So I think that actually it's a great lesson that we're all relearning every single day. Yeah. Now that you work for Yamaha and it's manufacturing products, what do you look for as a director of marketing when you have new products that are entering the industry? The most important thing is always that we think about it from the consumer's point of view, right? Because features and benefits are great and new technology is great. 
but it's really only great if it's somehow improving the experience of the person who's using the product. When, when I look at it, I always try to look at it through the filter of why is the person who's opening the box going to be really excited about this? You know, I think I'm really lucky. There's a lot of marketers in the world who have to sell around product flaws. You know, they have to do a little bit of look over here or look over here. And I never have to do that. I always know that I'm going to get something that's really sound from an innovation point of view and from a manufacturing point of view and from a quality and sound point of view. So it really lets me focus then on the job to be done framework, the thing that the customer is hiring that product to do for them in their life. And that's kind of the filter that I try to use to look at any new product that comes out. That's cool. It's all obviously different for every industry. But what's interesting with music specifically is that you're getting a product that is attractive to a lot of different people that can make it easier in that sense. As a director, what skills do you rely on the most through your day-to-day when working with your team and managing your team? It's such an interesting question because I think being where we are during the pandemic, we're definitely exercising managerial muscles that I maybe got to take for granted for a little bit. When you share a physical space with someone, you have the opportunity to constantly be reading body language and you know picking up a lot of nuance that's really hard to get via video chat. So I think that right now, it's so important to pause and breathe with your employees even though we're all busy and we have a lot of agenda items we need to get through, to not necessarily be so go, 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 to have the moment to be like, and how are you? And how is your family? And to kind of pause and breathe with them. Because if you don't give that moment to allow people to pluck up the courage or interrupt, quote unquote, the meeting to to talk about what they're going through, it's easy to steamroll over it. And so I really find that that slowing down is kind of one of the things that I'm trying to exercise most in working with my staff. Yeah, I think this time is really shining a light for a lot of people on things that we've taken for granted. I sure miss my office and being in that physical space with people. Even just having someone on video chat or a Zoom call is a little bit better because like you can see their faces and pretend as if they're in the same room as you. If you're just kind of talking on the phone, meeting after meeting, I find it very sad (laughs) because you need that. I don't care if you are wearing a nice blouse on top and like PJ pants on the bottom. I just want to see your face (laughs) and pretend that this is somewhat normal, even though it's just totally not. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and the funny thing is, Natalie, I'll tell you, I am a massive introvert. And, you know, you saw all the, the memes kind of going around when this started about like, yes, the introvert's time has come. You know, all the skills we've been practicing for years are finally going to come into, into play. And I thought that I would really be like, yeah, I'm going to put on a hoodie and, and be super in my introvert glory. And it's not that way at all. Like you really... Even the shyest and most introverted of us really need that human connection. We really need to be able to look people in the eyes, even if it's through your laptop screen or your phone screen, in order to feel passion for your job and what you're trying to do. It's so cold, like you said, to be on the other end of the phone. And we didn't really realize it until that was all we had. Yeah, exactly. I'm an extroverted introvert 
I can be very introverted. Like when people first meet me, I'm very quiet and to myself. And then I can be really extroverted when I need to be, but I need that time to like, okay, like I need to be by myself. No one talked to me. Like I'm just going to watch some Netflix and like stay away from the world. But I feel like now I still need that force of being an extrovert a little bit, which is another reason why this podcast sparked my interest, because it's forcing me to have conversations that aren't, how are you doing during this pandemic? This coronavirus is crazy. (laughs) I feel like that's everyone's conversation. And it's nice to be able to kind of have that extrovertedness. So then later on, I can go back and be like, okay, I don't want to talk to you now. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. I heard another podcast where they said, I wish that there was like a code word that we could just say to each other that would be like shorthand for, and how are you doing? And how are you managing during this pandemic to just kind of like get it out of the way and then move on to, to something else and some other conversation? Well, we can move on from this now, but <laughs> <laughs> there are certain aspects within the music industry, depending on the instrument that you play, that has been very male dominated. How does inclusivity today factor into your marketing strategy to make sure you're targeting everyone that you want to purchase your product? Absolutely. I mean, that is such a huge issue for our industry at large. I think if you look at maybe some of the advertising or the way that selections have been made about artists to represent products, you can definitely see that there is a gender gap. Or there are some really kind of antiquated gender roles. You know, the little boy is playing the drums and the little girl is looking on adoringly as he does so. And I think that really in the last decade, the music industry has come so far in terms of addressing the issues of gender equality in the way that it looks at the product and it talks about the product. I don't think that we'd ever see a manufacturer make a misstep nowadays, like thinking turning something pink would be enough to make it the girl's version. I know that we are really careful anytime we're looking at producing something to make sure that the way that we produce it and the way that we talk about it is very representative of the people that use it. You said it earlier that music is universal and it's so true. I mean, it is one of the few industries where the experience of music is completely agnostic. It it doesn't matter what gender you are. Everyone is fed by it. Everyone can be elevated and lifted up by it. And so we want to make sure that the gender gap is completely gone. I couldn't agree more. I see it all the time. And I experience it all the time, too, which is a whole other conversation. I would love nothing more than to not have that be a thought. Absolutely. And I think that as the industry, we have a really an obligation to the young women in our midst to be active and engaged in that conversation. I have had interns, you know, in the last five years who have said to me, young women musicians, that they were told that they they play drums like a girl. It just breaks my heart that in this day and age, they still get feedback like that. So I think it's really important that wherever possible, we are completely obliterating all traces of that type of thinking and that type of feedback to the young women in our midst. They are wonderful, talented, beautiful musicians and smart, capable business people. And to reduce it to their gender is really just such a disservice to them and their careers. As a woman, what 
advice or experiences have helped you get to where you are today? And would you go back and change anything? Oh, that is a big question. It's a great question. It's just, it's a big question. It goes a little bit back to kind of, in all honesty, how old I am. Because I I did enter the workforce at a time when certain behaviors in the workplace were a lot more acceptable than they are now, actually completely illegal behaviors. I can remember being in my early 20s and interviewing for a job and having a smart, brilliant woman who became a mentor to me tell me like, "Uh, be careful in the afternoon because this executive tends to drink out of his special Snapple bottle and he might get a little handsy. Ooh. And and you think like at the time I was like, okay, I'll be careful. But you know, now it, it would be a much more structured, serious conversation. In some ways, I think actually that the best advice that people have given me personally for the way that I process my my world and I process my job is my gender really doesn't matter. I am who I am and I bring to the table what I bring to the table. And if I am more inclined to collaboration, you know, as a woman, or I'm more inclined to dialogue and discuss things, then those are my strengths and I should use them. And they're not necessarily better or worse than anyone else's strengths, regardless of gender. They're just the ones that I have and that I bring to the table. And I've always believed that if you focus on the work and you focus on what is best for your company and your industry, the rest of it shakes out. And that works in both kind of the positive and the negative. I don't let the little things bother me. I I try not to make everything a cause, you know, or a mission necessarily. They're not all hills that need to be claimed. But, you know, you also brook no crap from people. If you know that what you're doing is in the best interest of your company and your colleagues, then you don't apologize for who you are and you don't allow anyone to make you feel like your opinion is somehow less valid. Because you know, you know, as a professional and you know, as a a contributing member of the company, that what you're doing is for the greater good. I love that. I'm going to use that. Yay! Yay! It was actually nice. (laughs) No, no, seriously. I love that because it also ties back into what we were saying earlier is that with inclusion, we don't want to have that kind of in the forefront of our minds all the time. We want it to be invisible. It would be nice also in any job, not even relevant necessarily to this industry, but any job to not be judged or criticized because you're a female in the workplace. You are who you are. Yeah, absolutely. I think that when I am working with staff who are earlier in their careers, the greatest piece of encouragement I try to give them is not to let the voices of insecurity silence them. It's better to offer the idea and take the hard feedback and then learn what makes a better idea next time than to muzzle yourself in the moment. And I think that the more that we can do to encourage every voice in the room to feel empowered to speak whenever they feel that they have an idea that has merit is what I feel my role should be at this point in my career. I've worked hard enough and I've, I've gained enough influence slash power slash don't care itness that that's what I can do now for younger staff members is give them that platform and that safe zone. That's incredible. I love to hear that as a young professional. That's something I struggle with all the time. Those insecurities in my... Well, stop it, Natalie. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I struggle with those insecurities all the time of, do I speak up? Do I 
put my opinion out there or should I wait till the time is right? I know I need to stop doing that. No one should feel as if a suggestion or an opinion that they're giving to the world is bad. And it's a learning experience for everyone. And it'll just make us grow. And the dirty little secret of that, Natalie, is even if you do have a like a real stinker of an idea, a lot of times the thought that comes out of, ooh, that doesn't work because fill in the blank, is the genesis of the next great idea. The creative process requires fertilizer. You have to have some ideas that just are fodder for something else to come out of them. And if you never offer the thought, you maybe never give someone else the spark that they need in order to have their great idea. So putting those ideas that you're nervous about out there is actually a gift that you can give to your coworkers. For me, because I had that nervousness about sharing and saying those things, is if I thought about the fact that it was helping someone else, it became easier to be fearless on their behalf. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you so much, Lisa. I learned so much. Well, thank you, Natalie. I'm so excited to have been here. I can't wait to see what's next. I'm excited in some ways to see what's going to happen with this going forward with this pandemic and how it shifts marketing and the industry and how we work, essentially. Absolutely. I mean, I think we're in a great place to be humble and to learn something new about how to engage with the consumer because they're just as shell-shocked as we are. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Swim Masters. Be sure to join the Swim Facebook group for your chance to submit questions for all upcoming guests. If you would like to learn more, please visit www.smartwomeninmusic.org. This episode was co-produced and edited by Stephanie Lamond and Natalie Morrison. See you next time.